0: Tonight we have a couple of Bible readings. The first one is from 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1, page 1021. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. To the Church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, And rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering." God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marvelled at among all those who have believed. This includes you, because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ.
1: The second reading is from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, They will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: Thank you, Chrissy, and good evening, everyone. My name's Ed, and I'm the Congregational Pastor here. And if you're new or visiting with us or joining us online, great to have you. If you're in the building, it'd be lovely if you could hang around after the service. We have supper, and um, we'd love to get to know you. I'd like to meet you as well. Uh, Last week... I had to share the difficult news um, that I've accepted a new role, and this week I've been punished by having to preach on judgment and hell. So you can't win around here. Um, But we're in a series on a topic called eschatology, a study of the end times, what the Bible teaches us about where this world is heading and what's going to happen. I remember the first time I ever heard the H word spoken in church. I was part of a wonderful Bible-believing church, a church just like ours. We believed all the things that we have been teaching and will be teaching in this series, but we just hadn't heard people speak about it like it was real. And then Ben came from Northern Lakes Evangelical Church. His job was to recruit members of our church to go up and join his church for a week-long mission up on the Central Coast. So our minister... Got him up the front and asked, Ben, why should people come and join you on Summerfest mission? Because there's thousands upon thousands of people, Ben replied, on the central coast who are going to hell. And you, sitting there, have the words of eternal life and can save them. And you could have heard a pin drop just like now because we believed it, but no one talked about it like it was real. I signed up for the mission that night with Ben, and, and we, we, we knew that the Bible said these things, but we could just live blissfully unaware that, that they really are a reality, that it really is where people we know and love are headed, people so dear to us, people we rub shoulders with every day, people in our families, people, maybe even people we're married to. It is a reality. It's a terrifying reality. It's a scary reality. but It's a reality that we want to face up to because it's something the Bible says is true. So today we're looking at the reality of the final judgment and what the Bible teaches about hell. Do you know this face up on the screen? This is Greta Thunberg, Swiss uh, Swiss climate change activist. Greta says, Adults keep saying... No, I won't use the accent. She said, <coughs> Adults keep saying we owe it to the young people to give them hope. But I don't want your hope. I don't want you to be hopeful. I want you to panic. I want you to feel the fear I fear every day. And then I want you to act. I want you to act as if your house is on fire because it is. So we feel like it's okay for the climate change activists to to warn us of a great danger that is coming because we believe it is, we think it's coming and we must act now. But when Christians begin to speak of realities that we think and we believe are coming, Our defences go up. We feel a bit, oh, maybe we shouldn't do it. Those were the old days. No, the Bible says these things are real and are coming. And if we believe it, if we think it's true, we must act now. We must speak up, must tell people and warn them. So where we're going tonight is we're going to look at what the Bible tells us about the certainty of final judgment. We're going to look at uh, what the Bible speaks about the horrors of hell. And then we're going to finish by making sure that no one in this building and as few people as we know are headed there. So let's begin with the reality of final judgment. Many years ago there was a farmer in the US who detested Christian people. As he used to farm on Sundays, he would shake his fist at the Christians as they walked to church and call out curses on them. Well, one October, he just had a Bumper Harvest. It was his best October ever. He was feeling really good about himself, and so he wrote into the local newspaper an opinion piece. And in that opinion piece was the line that said, Faith in God must not mean much if someone like me can prosper. The next week, a response came back from one of the Christian readers. It was short. It was to the point. It simply read, God doesn't settle his accounts in October. The Apostle Paul said when speaking to the people in Athens, the city of Athens, a place of many gods, he said these words up on the screen from Acts chapter 17. For he, that is God the Father, has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising this man, Jesus Christ, from the dead. There is so much that has been prophesied about Jesus or that Jesus said about himself that has already been fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. But there is one thing Jesus said that is yet to be fulfilled, that he will return as judge. And The Bible tells us that his resurrection is proof that you can trust that it really will happen, that he will fulfill that last promise to come back as judge so what will it be like the book of hebrews tells us these words on the screen nothing in all creation will be hidden from god's sight everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account the bible tells us that what was done in secret will be disclosed what happened in the dark will be brought into the light what was whispered in the inner ear will be proclaimed from the rooftops the thoughts and secrets of our hearts will all be laid bare everything will be revealed so imagine 7 p.m. tomorrow night orpheum theater one night only ed Yorston's deepest darkest secrets are all coming out Everything that he's ever done and said that no one knows is screening at the Orpheum Theatre. I imagine you'd be interested. I would be terrified. It is a horrifying thought to think that it will all come to light. And the Bible says that if mine will be aired, yours will be too. We're told that every single person will give an account of themselves to God, that we will all Stand before God, and Revelation 20 says the books will be opened and every person will be judged according to what we have done. I remember pondering this reality a while back and recognizing that if the fact that all of my dirty laundry is going to get aired one time, I may as well start trying to process some of it now. I may as well act on the things that I can act on now because if everyone's going to find out, why don't I do what I can? I'd recently made a joke uh, about a member of church in a staff meeting and I was convicted about that. And I said sorry to God. I realised that one day he would hear it and he would either hear it from me or from Jesus. So I called him up and I said, I'm so sorry. Um, I I did this in a staff meeting. It was a stupid thing to do and I really apologise for speaking about you that way. And I just thought, thank God that I can start now. I wonder what sins in your life you could do business with this side of that great and dreadful day. I'll just give you a moment to just ponder that. I use the term great and dreadful day when speaking about that day because it will be those two things. It will be dreadful, it will be terrifying, but it will also be great because it will be a day of justice. Finally, there will be justice on this earth. There are people sitting in prison right now who are wrongly convicted for crimes they did not commit all over our world. Adolf Hitler never had to look in the eyes of a family member that he murdered the the family members of and, and had to say sorry. That had never happened. Justice has never been served. And we all long for justice. We want justice for Putin and his ridiculous war that he's waging against the people of Ukraine. We want justice for the primary school shooters. We want justice in our own lives, for the people who made our lives a living hell back in primary school or in the the workplace, for those people who broke our heart and never said sorry, that family member who turned on us all and, 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 and turned the family inside out. There are so many experiences that make us want to cry out, where is the justice in this world? And God says, it is coming. Jesus, my judge, will judge with fairness and equity. No one will escape. Nothing will be missed. The Bible says that Jesus will judge the people of this earth, you and me, with perfect retributive justice. Everyone will get just as they deserve. Not a smidgen more, not a, not a mite less, No one will receive anything but what is coming. If that's true for Hitler, it's true for Putin, it's also true for you and for me. If you're here today thinking that heaven is where the good people are going to go and hell is where the bad people will go to get their just desserts, then you are greatly mistaken because the Bible tells us that when we stand before a holy God the place that we all belong, is under his judgment. That in fact, if everyone gets justice, everyone goes to hell. That's where we belong. When I talk about judgment and the afterlife with people, a lot of people say to me things like, it feels like God is like a a sky judge, you know, up in heaven, standing at the gates of heaven with his arms crossed, wanting people to come and give a defense of themselves as to why they should be let into the heaven that they so desperately want to be in. But if you read the Bible, if you look at Jesus Christ, you realize that God is the exact opposite. He he has situated himself at the gates of hell. God has put himself in the way of all of humanity who are running headlong towards their own destruction and said, please do not go there. I beg you, I implore you, don't go where your actions are taking you. That is our God. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance and to faith. Well, before we get to how to escape the judgment that we so rightly deserve before a holy God, I want us to first face up to what the Bible explains are the horrors of hell. I'm told that in Singapore there is a theme park called Hawpah Village. Uh, Apparently it's based on the nine levels of hell in Confucian beliefs. And so parents would take their children to Hawpah Village to show them what would happen to them if they are bad children, if they disobey their parents and dishonor the family. You can imagine uh, around the breakfast table when mum and dad Break the news, uh, kids, we're going to go to Hawpa village today. Uh, <laughs> Yippee! I can imagine the reaction for little ones is based on two things. One, they probably have no choice, but secondly, I guess they probably think, well, good must come of it. And the same is true for us here today. The first reality is, you have no choice. I'm taking us there, and that's where we're going. Uh, but secondly, I want you to trust that good will come of it. As we look at the bad and the horrors and the scary things the Bible teaches us, the good things radiate so much more and pop up. So let's think about what the Bible says about the horrors of hell. And, and these, we need to be careful. We need to be conscious that people we know and love are headed there or maybe have already gone there. As difficult as it is, to hear. I believe it's for our good. Jesus spoke about hell more than anyone else in the Bible Uh, and when he spoke about hell, he spoke about it using images and metaphors and not because Jesus didn't know what hell was like. No, as the eternal son of God, Jesus is the only one who has seen the realities of it himself and can teach us. But he used picture language to paint vivid pictures in our minds and help us get a sense of just how terrifying it is. When Jesus spoke of hell, he used three primary images. The first is that hell will be a place of unquenchable fire. He said these words, If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worm that eats them does not die and the fire is not quenched. Like the rich man from our second reading, desperate for that drip of water just on the tip of his tongue to put out that insatiable sense of anguish and burning. Jesus said, Hell will be a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But Jesus will reply to those who have rejected him. He said, but he will reply, I do not know you're where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. It's not stress, gnashing of teeth. It's not anger. It's, it's just turmoil, inner turmoil and pain and wailing at being shut out of the kingdom of God. Lastly, Jesus said, hell will be a place of outer darkness. Of the unwelcome guests at the wedding banquet, Jesus said, Then the king told them, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The idea is one of being cast outside of the goodness of the banquet, cast away from the festive music and the the joy and the celebration, cast out to a place where you're so far from the light that it becomes dark and lonely, isolated. Not only did Jesus paint pictures of what hell will be like, he also told us some definite realities. And there were three things he told us will happen in hell. The first was punishment. He spoke of the rich man from the story with Lazarus. He said in hell where he was in torment. Or when speaking of the unrighteous people whom Jesus the judge will separate from the righteous people with the sheep and the goats, of the unrighteous he said, uh, just the previous slide, he said, Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Jesus very clearly taught again and again, and it's reinforced throughout the rest of the Bible, and they're terrible words even just to say. Jesus taught that hell will be a place of eternal, conscious punishment. It's almost too terrifying to stop and ponder that. And so Christians throughout the ages have overstretched or underdone those truths and overstretched smaller truths to try and change and bend things like ideas that the church has propagated over the ages like that of purgatory. Purgatory is this idea that perhaps hell might be a place like a prison sentence where you serve your time where you're punished for a finite amount of time, and once you've served your sentence, you could be transported over into heaven. But Jesus refuted that idea, didn't he? In the story of Lazarus and the rich man, he he reminded us that there is a chasm that will be fixed between hell and heaven, no going from one to the other or the other to the other. Similarly, and, and I've said this myself and I can... I can feel the tension to want to say it. We say it often in the Explore courses as well because it kind of feels better. We often say that hell is a place where God is absent, a place where there is no God. To a lot of my friends, that sounds like heaven. Finally, no rules, no religious people, no Ed Yorston, make me feel guilty about the things that I do. Woohoo! I'm free to do what I want. But the Bible doesn't teach that teaches us that hell is not a place where God is absent, but rather that God is present everywhere and his presence there makes hell, hell. Imagine being in a place where you hate someone you can't get away from. You're in rebellion against a Lord you have to submit to. You are, you are burning with rage and bitterness towards a God who is infinitely good and loving hell is not an exclusion of hell is, is not an uh, exclusion from his presence it's an exclusion of fellowship with god some of the scariest verses in the bible i think are these on the screen from revelation 14 it speaks of those who will come under jesus judgment that they will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever There will be no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast and its image, or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. Jesus is not the only one who has sought to teach and help us think about what heaven and hell would be like. There's still two more things that Jesus taught us, but I feel like we need a little joke break, so I've got a joke for you. Uh, they say this about heaven and hell. Heaven is where the police are British, the cooks are French, the mechanics are German, the lovers Italian, and it's all organised by the Swiss. Hell. Hell is where the cooks are British, the mechanics French, the lovers Swiss, the police are German, and it's all organised by Italians. Many people have attempted to paint pictures for us and help us think about what life after this life might be like. But we've got to listen to Jesus, don't we? As hard as it is to hear, we've got to listen to the one who's been through it, who knows what it's like, who is telling us real realities. So we've got two more. The second thing Jesus tells us will happen in hell is that it will be a place of destruction. Do not be afraid, said Jesus, of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body, soul and body in hell. Now it's this language of destruction that's given rise to an idea that's very prominent in many churches and, and even evangelical Christianity, an idea of annihilationism, that God would so punish people and destroy them in a sense that eventually they would cease to exist. And it is a compassionate idea that that there would be an end to that suffering. But, But it's not consistent with how the Bible uses the idea of destruction throughout the Bible because when things are destroyed in the Bible, they don't cease to be, they just lose their purpose. They lose their function. They stop being what they were created to be for. So wineskins that have burst are said to have been destroyed. Uh, nard, expensive perfume that was poured out on Jesus' feet was said to have been wasted, destroyed on him. Destruction is not extinction. Destruction is about loss of purpose. It's about waste and loss and ruin. Lastly, Jesus tells us that hell will be a place of rejection. They will be punished Said the Apostle Paul, they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Right from the beginning, when Adam and Eve were cast out of the presence of God, rejection by God didn't mean an absence of God. Rather, it meant a cutting off of knowing him in a relational way. Actually, one of the most terrifying pictures that the Bible gives us of God's judgment is that he gives up on us. He just gives us over to our sin and and says, just go and get lost in it. No restraining grace, no intervention. You and all that is evil that you want to pursue, go. That is the terrifying reality of rejection. So the picture that is painted for us is terrifying of hell. Unquenchable fire, weeping and gnashing of teeth, darkness, And it's realities, terrifying, eternal conscious punishment, everlasting destruction or loss of purpose, unchangeable rejection from the one we were created to live in relationship with. So what do we do? Firstly, what do we do about people we know and love who may have gone there? I learned this lesson from my mum when one of my friend's dads, one of my favourite dads, um, Died in an accident on a farm. He was out in the field a day and a night before he was discovered. And my mum reminded me that you never know what happens in people's last moments. You never know. God is infinitely merciful. And as we learnt with the uh, the criminal on the cross, God is always willing to forgive. The door is wide open until people's very last breath. So, we don't make judgments about where people go. That is God's work to do, for only God knows the heart. But John Chapman, a famous Sydney minister, told the story about how his own father died cursing God. And he said that he came to peace with this by reminding himself that his good God would do what was right. And eventually, there would come a time when Chapo himself could even rejoice that God, our good God, had done what was right with his Father. I think Chapo is right here because when all's said and done and we sinners stand before a perfect, holy, majestic God and we see him in all his magnificent goodness and his perfect purity and we see the multitude of our sins and the wretchedness of our brokenness No one, and I promise you, no one will ask the question, why aren't there more people in heaven? No one will be confused about why people are in hell. The shock and the horror of that day of judgment will be, how could God let anyone into heaven? How could anyone go there? And that is the hope of Jesus. That is the great hope of Jesus. Jesus, the judge of all people, has willingly stepped into this world And Jesus went to hell so that you would never have to. So what do we do with people we know and love who are headed there? Well, we must warn them. Hear this wonderful quote from Charles Spurgeon, the great evangelist. If sinners will be damned, he said, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish... Let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let no one go there unwarned or unprayed for. Don't go out tomorrow morning or tonight and stand on a street corner and start warning of the perils of judgment that is coming. If you want to do that, then go. I'm not going to stop you and good on you, but nothing's changed between when you came into church and when you leave about how people come to know and trust in Jesus. They come to believe in him as Christian people, speak about how good Jesus is, share his love, and invite them to come and meet him. Here at church, we have courses, explore courses, Alpha and Christian Explored. They work in bringing people from death to life, in bringing people to meet Jesus, put their trust in him, and be transformed. It works. And if you've never been part of it, then then I want you to come along to our Alpha Come See Invite Night and get yourself equipped so that you are ready to bring people along on that journey of coming and meeting Jesus. That is a great next step that you can take in light of the terrifying realities that we've seen. There must be a spiritual urgency about us. Express it in prayer, but keep a relational ease in our connections with others. But be honest, be real. If people ask you what church was on last night, give them a bit of a sense of what you felt. The Bible, uh, I remember uh, reflecting on on, on this and, and reading about what do you do with those people that you've spoken to again and again and it doesn't work and... And I remember a commentator saying, if words fail, try tears. Maybe just let them know what it means to you, this truth that's so difficult, but that you believe that that's where they're headed. And people might start to wake up and listen to us. What do we do with people here tonight who are not ready to stand and meet Jesus the judge? Get ready, friends. Get ready to meet him by accepting his sacrifice in your place. Just receive his forgiveness. Jesus himself went to hell on the cross. He died a sinner's death so that you would never have to face it. You can do business with God and you can do it tonight. Don't wait. Don't put it off. If you know that you are not prepared to meet your judge, you don't know when that day will come, so be ready. And be ready now. The well, it was very clear that when Jesus died on the cross, he was put through hell. It wasn't just the physical suffering that he endured. It was the relational and the spiritual suffering that was so acute. They say that uh, when you experience rejection or when you experience um, grief of separation, it's made more acute by the closeness and the length of your relationship. So if a new friend rejects you, That sucks. If a spouse of 30 years rejects you, turns away from you, cuts you off, that is utterly crushing. When the eternal Son of God stepped into our world, God the Father turned his anger and judgment and wrath against his Son in a way that split this eternal union between Father and Son that was resulted in the most acute, terrifying, atrocious pain that we could ever imagine. Jesus was cut off, judged, separated, so that you and I would never have to be. Jesus went through hell so that we could escape. But there is only one way to be kept safe from the horrors of hell, and that is to let Jesus take it all away for you. And if you don't know that you could stand with confidence before him, then tonight's a great night to do business with him. All we need to do is pray. Just pray to him, say, sorry for my sins. Thank you that you died for me. Please forgive me and help me to trust you and follow you. And that's what we're going to do now. We're going to talk to God. I'm going to lead us in prayer. It's a prayer that a Christian needs to keep praying each and every day. A, a sorry. Sorry thank you please pray if you want to echo these words in your heart to god then please do that i'll leave a little pause for you but let's adopt a posture of prayer let's come before god and let's do business with him now before that great and final day when it's all too late dear god sorry that i've sinned against you and rejected you as god over my life And if there are any sins that you need to say sorry to God for, I'll let you mention them in the quietness of your heart now. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross in my place, making it possible for me to be friends with you again. Please forgive me. Please come into my life. Please help me to live from this day forward with Jesus as my Saviour and my Lord. Amen. Friends, if you've prayed that prayer, Jesus the Judge has just become Jesus your friend. The man that one day you will stand before and give an account of your life will say, I know you, I love you, I died for you, come, welcome to paradise. Friends, heaven rejoices that you've made that choice and we rejoice with you too. And we would love to, to celebrate that with you and help you on your journey and help you to keep making that a reality so that each and every day you'll keep living for Jesus. We're going to take a moment and I'm going to ask everyone here in the building to fill out a little invitation card that you're sitting on on your seat or it's around you and uh, we would love to know how you are responding to Jesus. You'll see there's lots of options there for you. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time or you have returned to Jesus for the first time in a long time, we would love to know that you have invited Jesus into your life today. If you want to follow up more and think more about this, then you've got a spot there to let us know you'd like to come to our Alpha course. We've got one starting up in October. If you want to take a next step in your faith and move forward getting baptized or sharing your testimony, please indicate that there. If if you're someone who knows, loves, trusts in Jesus, walking with your, your Lord and, and know him to be both judge and friend, then let us know what we can pray for you. Let us know how Jesus is speaking to you because these will be used by your pastors in our prayers for you over the coming weeks. We're going to listen to a song reflecting on God's love for us. I'll invite you to fill these out. And after that song, uh, we're going to respond in worship and these cards will be collected during our final song let's